Thank God for the word. We're going to go straight to the word. Amen? Praise you. Father, we ask this morning that in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would so anoint our eyes and you would so anoint our ears, that we would see as you want us to see, that we would hear what you want us to hear. Let that spirit of wisdom and revelation so rest upon us in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, by the power and authority of your word, let there be a, let there be a change. Let there be a breaking up of the father ground of our hearts in the mighty name of Jesus. And by the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, even right now, we sever off of ourselves all that would distract us. We, we sever off any negative environment. We cast away all cares, every anxiety, anything that will cause us or provoke us to fret. We shut it all down right now. We separate by the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And by faith, we roll it all over on you in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, we apply the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ upon our hearts and upon our minds in Jesus' name. And Lord, we stand in this holy place where we are able to hear the voice of the Lord, where we are able to receive from the Spirit of God. And Lord, we give you praise and glory and thanksgiving and honor in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's have a seat. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Praise God forevermore. Amen. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Turn with me. <laughs> Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12 and Titus chapter 2 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And Titus chapter 2. This morning I'm going to be speaking on the subject, the fear of the Lord. And the, the, the specific emphasis will be having an understanding of the fear of the Lord from where we are in the new covenant. Understanding the fear of the Lord from a new covenant perspective. Amen? Now Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation, that bringeth deliverance, that bringeth wholeness, that bringeth divine protection, that bringeth healing. The grace of God that bringeth such a great salvation as appeared to all men. Teaching us, it teaches. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Verse 12 in and of itself speaks about the fear of the Lord. And that the grace of God teaches the fear of the Lord. Amen? Say that with me. Say the grace of God, grace of God. teaches the fear of the Lord. Now it is very important that I establish the fear of the Lord in the new covenant. The fact of the matter is, for every, um, I would say for every 70 verses in the Old Testament speaking about the fear of the Lord, there's only one in the New Testament. And I think we need to recognize that and understand why. But because of that fact, there is a tendency, especially from the perspective of grace, as if the fear of the Lord has no application in the New Covenant. And that is not, that is not correct. Because in fact, the Bible says in, um, in 1 Corinthians that the things that happened in the Old Covenant, the types and the shadows that we see, they were for our learning. And they were examples for us. And quite often, many of the things in the Old Testament were specifically um, spoken through the prophets, through various types and, 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 and shadows, so that we can have a greater comprehension 
of who God is. And in the final analysis, the fear of the Lord is your response to who God is. But if you do not have any kind of, um, if you do not magnify the Lord, and if your perception of God is, 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 um, is, is minute, or is that of an animal, or if your respect of God is, um, is the, the environment or something else, then you're not going to have the right fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a response to who God is. And God is who he is in the New Testament, and he is the same God in the Old Testament. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we do need to understand why is there this huge discrepancy between the, the volume of scriptures on the fear of the Lord in the Old Covenant versus the fear of the Lord in the New, Test in the New Covenant. And then we also need to recognize, uh, but in the process, I do want to, I do want to establish the, the reality and the truth about the fear of the Lord, and especially from a New um, Covenant perspective. Amen? All right. So, so, and so we just saw there in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 that the fear of the Lord is literally taught by the grace of God. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, it says, Wherefore we have received a kingdom which cannot be moved. The kingdom of God that dwells within us is awesome. It is righteousness, it's peace, it's joy in the Holy Ghost. It, it reigns over all, and that kingdom cannot be moved. And it says, let us have grace whereby, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So it says, given you've got this kingdom that is so awesome, that cannot be shaken, and by the way, the kingdom is awesome and God is awesome. Amen? And quite frankly, if I were to jump ahead a little bit, I would say the reality of the fear of the Lord is that response to an awesome God, and we respond to this awesome God in awe. So we receive a kingdom that cannot be moved. So let us have grace. Why should we have grace? Whereby, as a result of that grace, we may be able to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. But you see that very grace teaches the fear of the Lord. That very grace, the Bible says, we, Titus 2 and verse 11, that the grace of God that bringeth salvation, that brings deliverance, the grace of God that reveals the very excellency of God, that reveals that God is so good, so merciful, the grace of God that has brought about the new creation, that has brought about um, the reality of being forgiven, and so on, the grace of God that, that, that magnifies and, and, and brings God into a, God who was so out of reach into a place where he is able to embrace us, we are able to embrace him, and he can live in the inside of us. The grace of God that does that, the grace of God, that grace of God that does that, teaches us to, to serve God with reverence and godly fear. What is the connection here? The connection is this, that grace that reveals the magnificence of God, the excellency of God, the riches of God, the glory of God, that same, the, the very things that that grace is revealing, in how do we respond to what grace reveals, to what God reveals, to what grace reveals, this forgiveness. I mean, how is it if God was to hold, it says in Psalms 130, if God was counting up all of our iniquity, who will be able to stand? Right? But it goes on to say, it goes on to say, and let me read that verse of Scripture, Psalms 130. Psalms 130 and verse 4, it says, if, if, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquity, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. In other words, recognizing that God is so forgiving, what, what is the reaction? The reaction is we fear him. We stand in awe of him. Oh, he's so good. He is so merciful. And the grace of God teaches and reveals that mercy, that goodness of God. And then when we see who God is, our reaction is, wow, awesome. Our reaction is the fear of the Lord. So the very fear of the Lord is connected up to the grace of God. Isaiah chapter 8. And by the way, those, both of those scriptures are in, the New, are in the New Testament. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 13 says, Sanctify the Lord of hosts. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. And let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. The Lord of hosts, regard him 
as holy. Honor his holy name by regarding him as your only hope of safety. And let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Lest you offend, lest you offend him and by your fear of man and distrust of him. In other words, we are not to fear man, but we are to trust God and our trust are to be in, in him. And we are to so separate God within our hearts that there is none like him. At the end of the day, here is what God wants to communicate. God wants to base, is basically saying to us, I am the Lord God Almighty. I am the Lord full of majesty, full of grace, full of glory, full of kindness, long-suffering. I am the Lord God that is holy and perfect in all my ways, and there is none like me. Therefore, give unto me the glory that is due unto my name. Amen? But in the Old Testament, they were literally have to do that on the basis of law. Here in the New Covenant, God wants us to do it because we love Him. It's from the place of love that He wants us to be able to honor him and magnify him and exalt him and, and have that reverence for him for who he is. So it says, sanctify the Lord. Set him apart in your heart. Make sure that there's a place that no one else has but him because he alone is God. And then it goes on to say in verse 14, and he shall be for a sanctuary. He shall be for a sanctuary. For a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense. He shall be a sanctuary, a sacred and an indestructible asylum to those who would reverently fear and trust him. God says, I'm going to be your hiding place. He says, I'm going to hide you in the secret place of my tabernacle. I'm going to hide you in my presence. I'm going to place you underneath the shadow of my wings. Unto them that fear me. In, in, in Psalms 25, it will tell us that the fear of the Lord, the secret of the Lord lies with them that fear him. In other words, when you walk in this place where you, where you reverence and you honor and you magnify God and you hold him in high esteem and you, you honor him for who he is, God says, it's to this man I will look. This is the one who is going to be able, that, 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 that can have an intimate fellowship, an intimacy and communion with me. Amen? Say the fear of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 verse 15 says the same thing. Sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Sanctify the Lord in your hearts. That's 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. And you can check it out in various translations. Now turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. One of the difference between us and, and, and the wicked or the one that doesn't know God is that we know God. We've got a, a little bit of a revelation as to who he is, how, how wonderful, how awesome he is. To us, he's not just the big man upstairs. He is God Almighty. And, 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 and it is a revelation of God that provokes the fear of the Lord. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11. And the Lord spoke unto Moses face to face as the man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, and put his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, and departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You ask me to bring these people out of Egypt, and bring these people um, you know, into the promised land, but, you know, who are you going to send with me? Yet you say, I know thee by name. And, you, and, and, you, and, you, and that also that I found grace in your sight. Now therefore I pray you. If I have found grace in your sight, show me. Show me now your ways. Show me now your way. That I may know thee. Now that's going to come up a little bit later on because it is those that fear the Lord, God will reveal his ways. And part of the fear of the Lord is to walk in his ways. So Moses says, show me a way that I might know you and that I might find grace in your sight and consider this nation as your very own people. And he said, my God said to him, my presence will go with thee and I will give thee rest. Now, what is the thing that marks our lives as believers? What makes us distinct to any 
religion, so to speak. And, and Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. But what is so unique about Christianity? It is this fact that the presence of the Lord is with you and in you. Is it not? And he said unto him, If your presence go not with me, carry us, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known that I and, the, and your people have found grace in your sight? Is it not that you go with us? So shall we be separate? I, I'm, it, that's interesting. It is the presence of the Lord that makes us separate, that makes us distinct. It is the presence of the Lord. I and my people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing also that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, and it's like Moses, Moses is on a roll. <laughs> I mean, he's asking God to stop and God is answering. God says, yes, you can have that. So Moses thought, well, okay, while, while I have God in a yes mood, let me go on. So he said, and I beseech you, show me your glory. Right? And so the, and the Lord said, okay, I will make. Now listen to this. God could have said, okay, I'll show you my glory. But listen to what God said. I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. In other words, by God, God is, in it, is, is saying that his very glory is his goodness. It is his mercy. It is the fact that he is gracious. Yeah. And so God, so it went on to say verse 20, God, um, God said, you cannot see my face, for there shall be no man that shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass that while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. Let me, let me make a little pause a little bit here. If we were to go and study the Hebrew and all that stuff, the glory of the Lord is described as the heaviness of God, the full weight of God, his full splendor, his full majesty, the very essence of his being. If God could somehow unveil himself, then we saw a little type of that in the mountain of transfiguration. But that was just a little type that he tried to capture into words. But if God could unveil himself and, and there be no limitation of him revealing who he is, that would be this. He, he is the. He is. He is the sum total of glory. Are you with me? But I, I don't know. Man can can actually stand that. Now we are born again, and we have a. We are. We are not. We have a different. What should I say? We are not. Um. We have. A, we are a different vessel. Amen. The Bible says that the old wine skin could not hold the glory of God, but we've got a new wine skin. But yet there are magnitudes of the glory of God that is so excessive. And especially for Moses, not being born again, God says, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by and just let you see some of my glory. I'm just going to let you see my, my hinder parts. And it will come to pass that while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by and I will take away my hand and you shall see my back parts, but my face shall thou not see. And the Lord said unto Moses, Etc. Etc. Now let me jump down to verse what? To um. Okay, verse five, chapter thirty-four. And the Lord descended in the cloud, and He stood with Him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. That's part of what God said He was going to do in revealing His glory. And the Lord passed by Him before and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and, and transgression and sin, and etc., etc., etc. So what we see is that the glory of God is this fullness of the very various attributes of God. His judgment, His mercy, His graciousness. The, the, um, there wasn't a mention of the love of God in this context because it was the, because of the old covenant and so on and so forth. But it is the very essence of who God is. God is, 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 is awesome. In Isaiah chapter 40. Let's just capture this a little bit more. Isaiah chapter 40. Because you see, the fear of the Lord is the response to who God is. Isaiah chapter 40. 
And you can make this a study. But let me pick a few verses. Verse 12. Who had measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and, and, and measured out the heavens with a span and, and meted out the heavens with a span <laughs> and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who had directed the spirit of the Lord or had been his counselor or being his counselor had taught him. With whom took he counsel? Verse 15. Behold the nations are as a drop of a bucket. As a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. I'm skipping some verses here. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness will you compare unto him? That's verse 18. Verse 20. Verse um, 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Had it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. That stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain. And spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. Can you imagine that? I mean we have enough struggle just to make up the bed by ourselves. Without somebody holding the next end of the sheep. <laughs> Isn't that right? And he stretched out the entire, the entire heavens. God is awesome. Say God is awesome. God is awesome. Now the whole thing. They, they, so the fear of the Lord is our right response to God. That is based on the revelation of who he is. It's giving God the reverence. Giving God the respect. Giving God the honor that is due him. Because of who he is. Amen. And the glory of the Lord is the very excellency of God. It is the very, um, all, it is all the attributes of God in their perfection. Now here we are, we are in relationship with God. And as we are in relationship with God, there is to be an, a continual unveiling of who God is to us. And as we get a greater comprehension and, and, and a greater understanding of who he is, what is our response? What does that fear of the Lord look like? Obedience. What does it look like? It, it look, we, 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 we trust him. We, are, we become conformed to his mind, to his way of thinking. What does it look like? Worship because of who he is. Reverence. Adoration. We magnify his word above all else. Now unlike the wicked, where God is not even in the wicked's thinking, the Bible says. The wicked doesn't think about God. The wicked doesn't have that concept of God. Are you with me? So the fear of the Lord so affects us, and it is to so affect us that it affects every area of our lives. I have this picture in my mind. If you could imagine, <laughs> if you could imagine coming so close to the sun, just almost in contact with the sun, and somehow not melt, <laughs> come into contact with the sun, but in all of its absolute brilliance. Do you believe the brilliance of the light and the glory that is coming out of that sun will affect your thinking? Will it affect your speech? Will it affect your attitudes? I believe it will permeate through every part of your being. Isn't that right? Well, the fear of the Lord is to so affect us coming out of the revelation of who God is in response to that, that it affects us in our relationship, in our worship of God. In our communication with God. It produces and stirs up an obedience. It affects our interaction with each other. It, it, it affects the, the attitudes that we, that we have towards those that are in authority. Those that are ready to be a, even if it's an ungodly boss. The Bible speaks about us submitting one to another. Why? Because of the fear of the Lord. Amen? Our walk, our relationship with each other within the body of Christ. We pursue peace. We pursue holiness. We pursue unity. Why? Because of the fear of the Lord. Because of who God is. And because we want his mind. We, we just want to so agree with him. Because he is God. There is none like him. It affects us in our thinking. It affects us in our speaking. It affects us in our action. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13 says, and this is written by Solomon, a man that was wise within his own framework. And, he, and, he, and after he had gone through a whole lot of analysis 
and he found out that this is vanity, that is vanity, and everything else is vanity, he finally came to the conclusion in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13, and he said the conclusion of the whole matter is this, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is the whole duty of man, is to fear God. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 17, New Testament, say New Testament, New Testament. <laughs> says that you should conduct yourself with true reverence throughout the time of your temporary residence on the earth. The Amplified says, pass the, the King James says, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. It is the whole duty of man. Proverbs 23 verse 17 says, be in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Be in that reverential respect, honor, mindset toward God and let it affect you all the day long. Proverbs 28 verse 14 says, Happy is the man that feareth the Lord always. Well, of course, because man would be functioning in, 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 in God's perfect design. Amen? And as a result, what would, he, what would man be doing? He'd be operating in such a place in the fear of the Lord, so that what God had, so that so that God can bring fulfillment to His promises. Psalm thirty-four, verse nine and ten says, um, "Fear the Lord, ye is saints, for there is no want to them that fear Him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that fear the Lord shall not want for any good thing." Those the young lions, those that are depending on their own strength, they suffer lack and, and, and hunger, but they that fear the Lord will not want any good thing. New, New Testament version of that, John 15, 17. If you abide in me, my word abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1 says, Having therefore these promises, brethren, let us cleanse ourselves from every filthiness of the flesh and perfect holiness. How? Through the fear of the Lord. What am I saying? I am saying that the walking in the very fear of the Lord is, 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 is like a master key to the fulfillment of, your, of the purposes that God has for your own life. Yes. Amen? Hallelujah. Hebrews 4 verse 1 says, Having this promise, to enter, having the promise to enter into the, the promised land and into the promises of God and into inheritance, it says, and it was referring to the children of Israel who did not trust God, who did not believe God, and so on and so forth, and they died in the wilderness. And it says basically in Hebrews 4 verse 1, let us, having that promise, let us have fear. Let us fear, lest a promise be left us, we should come short. In other words then, we have a promise to possess all, all of the inheritance, but without fear, without the fear of the Lord, it's not going to happen. That's what it says. Amen? Alright, so from that perspective, let's, let's go and let's get a, a, a greater understanding of the fear of the Lord. Now why is it so important? Why should I even be bothered by it? Oh, yes, it pleases God. But the Bible also says in, in, in um, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the doorway. It is the, in, other, in other words, this is the room of wisdom. Well, the fear of the Lord is the door by which you can get into that room. Proverbs 28, verse 28 also says that not only is it the doorway into this room, but when you get into the room, you will find everything within the room. You'll find out that the fear of the Lord is not only the beginning, but it is wisdom itself. Proverbs 28, I mean, Job 28, 28 says that. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says it's the beginning of knowledge. I mentioned this before, Psalms 25 verse 14 says, it is the key to intimacy with God. Now, we might think, well, all right, so... Old Testament says the fear of the Lord is, is um, the secret of the Lord lies with them that fear him. God reserves this intimacy, this closeness um, for them that fear him. Well, when we look in the New Covenant, we will see verses like John chapter 14, verse 21, where it says that when you love God, you're going to keep his word. Jesus says you love me and you love the Father and you keep our word. We are going to come and make our abode with you. Which means what? We are going to, you're going to come into such a place so that our presence will be made manifest. Amen? Amen. Now here we also have in the new covenant in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 that through the blood of the Lord Jesus and through the veil of his flesh that was torn, we have boldness and access into the very holiest of God. Amen? Which also tells me then 
that the very the fact that old covenant we're talking about the fear of the Lord to have this intimacy with Him. New covenant we're talking about 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 doing the love of God, and we're talking about entering in through the blood, honoring the blood, honoring the veil that was stored, honoring that sacrifice. You put that all together, and it will tell me that there's got to be a correlation between the fear of the Lord and the love of God, and the fear of the Lord and the sacrifice of Christ. Amen? But then you see now, if there is a correlation, but then we do have the love of God, and we do have the sacrifice of Christ, which we didn't have in the old covenant, then we don't need to be talking as much about the fear of the Lord in the new covenant. We could simply talk about the sacrifice of Christ, and we could talk about the love of God. And as well, that will automatically begin to explain why you'll be hearing less about the fear of the Lord, even though he's still talking about the fear of the Lord. But now he's talking about love. Now he's talking about, about walking in the blood. Honoring the blood, not despising the blood, not despising the spirit of grace, not trampling under your foot and, and, and making it of, of, of non-effect or, or something like that. Are you with me? Hebrews 10 verse 29. But fear the Lord, the Bible says in Isaiah 33 verse 6, when it speaks about, 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 about the, the shoe foundation that God has. And God has a true foundation, and it's made up of, of righteousness, it's made up of judgment, it's made up of wisdom, it's made up of knowledge, it's made up of salvation. And then it says, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. In other words, then it says, the fear of the Lord is the, is the key to that true foundation that God has. Can you imagine that? If that is God's key to that true foundation, what about us? Amen? And that's Isaiah 33, verse 5 and 6. In Isaiah verse 11 and 2, talking about Jesus, it says the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord was going to rest upon him. And would make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And then the Amplified says in Isaiah 11 verse 3, that the fear of the Lord was Jesus' delight. Can you imagine that? Here you are, you are Jesus. You've got the spirit of wisdom, counsel, might, knowledge, and all of that on you, but of all that you've got, the fear of the Lord, that's what you delight in the most. Why? Because it's the master key to the rest. And for the Father, it is the key to the true foundation. It, should it be important to us? Amen? Now, so, now, um, so let's look again. The fear of the Lord in the old covenant, the fear of the Lord in the new covenant. God is the same. We know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, what has changed? What has changed between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? Ask yourself that question. What has changed? The cross. Isn't that right? The sacrifice of Christ. That's what has changed. The Old Covenant, in the Old Covenant, there was an idea of being afraid of God that you will find in the fear of the Lord. And, and, and about the wrath of God and, and the judgment of God and, 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 and so on, even though there's a little bit of misunderstanding about the wrath of God. But there is, there is that element of, of being afraid of God and the wrath of God at, that, has, that is somewhat valid. Okay? So let's look at that. Because we don't want to throw everything out if, it's, if, it, if, it is, if it is accurate. You see, it is very important that the, that the fear of the Lord must not be taught as, as it says in another place, must not be taught by the traditions of men. Must not be taught from a religious mindset. Isaiah 29 verse 13 talks about the fact that they, they, they draw near me with their mouth and so on and so forth. But they, they're operating in a fear of the Lord that is taught by the traditions of men. Amen? We don't want to walk in the fear of the Lord that says, Oh, you can't wear jewelry. You can't wear a big hat. Or, 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 or you know, keep those dresses just a little bit above the ankle or whatever. Amen? I mean, there's some practical aspects to that, but, but, um, but that's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord has nothing to do with that. Amen? So we don't want to get into some religious mindset where we are being taught the fear of the Lord by the traditions of men and by religion as opposed to by the Word of God and the Spirit of God and a comprehension from who He is. All right. But at the same time, there was that element... Of, of, of the fear of the Lord that, has to, that did have to do with being somewhat afraid in the Old Testament. Let's, let's talk about that just a little bit. First Samuel chapter 11. Let me just read you a few scriptures along the line. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 11. 
Now come back and read the whole context, but verse 7. Anyway, verse 6. And the Spirit of God... And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard these, those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen, and he hemmed them, or he cut them up in little pieces. And he sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come forth after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. <laughs> and the terror from the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. Did you get that? <laughs> he took the oxen, cut it up in tiny little pieces, and he sent it out to the various people in Israel, and tell him, you better come join the army. All right? Or this is what you're looking at. And fear came on them. And they all came out with what? One consent. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. It isn't funny. <laughs> but anyway, we'll come back to that. Second Chronicles chapter 17. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Second Chronicles chapter 17 and verse 10. And the fear of the Lord came upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were round about Judah, so that they made no war against Jehoshaphat. Can you imagine the fear of the Lord coming on your enemy? Man, they ain't going to mess with you. <laughs> Are you with me? All right. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 21. But that was still in the light of, of who God was in terms of his power and his might. Amen? There was little, I mean, it, it, this was not about the mercy of God. Well, in a sense. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 21 speaks about, And in that day, verse 20, A man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made, each one for himself to worship to the moles and to the bats. And to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the tops of the ragged rocks for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake terribly the earth. So it speaks about people hiding. So there is that element, okay? All right, fine. However, what is new in the new covenant because of the cross? Well, for one thing, in the new covenant, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. The love of God in the Old Testament that man that was accessible to man was not the love of God. So much so that in the Old Covenant, Jesus said in Matthew's, quoting the Old Covenant mindset, in Matthew 22, verse 37, he says, love one another as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. But when it comes to the New Covenant, in John 13, 34, he says, love one another as I have loved you. That's a big difference. Amen? Abraham, and so in the Old Covenant, there was that, there was, it was a, it, it, the love was different. In, in, the, in the Old Testament, faith was different. The Bible says Abraham's faith was reckoned, or rather righteousness was different. Abraham's faith was reckoned. It was counted to him for righteousness. Romans 4 verse 5. But in the New Testament, we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? Too much is given, much is also required. And John 1 verse 17, talking about grace, said the law was given by Moses, but grace came to Jesus Christ. The grace of God that we talk about today was not available in the Old Covenant. Be and why was it not available? Because Jesus had not gone to the cross. That grace that is available today, the Bible says it brings salvation, it brings deliverance, it brings a new birth. Think about deliverance. In the Old Covenant, if someone was demon-possessed, if you had a nation... A heathen nation that were involved in, in witchcraft and involved in idolatry and were demon-possessed. I mean, so demon-possessed that many times they were offering their children on the altars. They were offering their children to demons. They were burning them in fire and stuff like that. That's, that, that being demon-possessed, would you say? And God would say, if someone was in that position where they're demon-possessed, could they be delivered? Do you see people, demons being cast out of people in the Old Covenant? No. 
Right? It couldn't be because Jesus had not gone to the cross. The devil had not yet been, 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 been spoiled, etc., etc. Amen? But to this new salvation, but, but the grace of God that brings salvation, that brings this deliverance, it's a different thing in the new covenant. So in the Old Testament, when, when the children of Israel came, came and they came up against some hidden nation that was involved in idolatry, that had demons, I mean, even animals were demon-possessed. And if they couldn't get deliverance and God had to preserve a holy seed through which Jesus could come, through which the Savior should come, what was he supposed to do? What was to happen with all of this contamination? So he, he set up laws and tell them, don't get involved with the heathen. Stay separate, etc., etc. You come into a you come into a particular place, he says, wipe them all out. Destroy all of them, even destroy the animals, because you couldn't get them delivered. Are you with me? All right? So it was almost as like having that cancer, and before that cancer spread, and you don't have a cure, what do you do? You cut it out. Amen? I know that sounds harsh, but the point is we are now in a new covenant, yeah. and it's a different thing. First of all, deliverance is available. Secondly, the wrath of God has been satisfied. The Bible says Jesus, God was going to going to see that his soul was made an offering for sin, Isaiah 53 verse 10 and 11, and God will watch the travail of his soul and be satisfied. 1 John 2 2 says Jesus was a propitiation. He was the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice that took the punishment, that took the wrath of God, not only for us, but for the whole world. That is why we can go and we can tell someone that are in the depths of wickedness or whatever the case might be. They might be a witch doctor even. And we could go and we could say unto them that God was in Christ reconciling you unto himself. And he's not holding your sins and trespasses against you. And that if you were to go to hell, it wouldn't be because of your sins. It would be because of rejecting Jesus. And we can say to them, this is why Jesus came, this is why he died, and all have sinned, and whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pray this with me right now. Just receive Jesus into your heart as your Savior and Lord. That was not the case in the Old Covenant. Are you with me? Yes. Is this making sense? Yes. So the Bible says here in this New Covenant, First Thessalonians 5 verse 9, God had not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. So okay, so there is that shift. But at the same time, is God still God? Is God still to be reverent? Is he still to be fair? Is he still to be, oh, are we still to be obedient? Are we still, oh, oh, do we ought to trust God? Should we have our hearts and our minds aligned with his mind? Amen? Hallelujah. So, because of, so there is this difference. And then what we also see is the fact that now there are these new things. Love is on the scene. Grace is on the scene. Faith is on the scene. Righteousness is on the scene. Right? Some things have changed. God has not changed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We now have the authority of the word. But you see, even the authority of the word that we walk in, in the Old Testament it was called it was called delighting in the fear of the Lord. And the one that delights in the fear of the Lord, it says in Psalms 112, he delights greatly in God's commandments. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. So let's begin to, let's, let's look at this a little bit more closely. Turn with me, first of all, to, hmm. no, before I go there, let's look at this. Here you have salvation on the inside of us, the kingdom of God. And inside this kingdom of God and inside this salvation is every spiritual blessing. And we are told in Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 to draw out that salvation how? With fear and trembling. With fear and trembling we are to draw out that salvation. Now when you think about fear and trembling, it might, the word trembling sometimes we think, oh, let me, do I get scared in drawing it out? Paul said in, in, in 1 Philippians chapter 2 verse 3, he says, when I came to you, I came to you with fear and trembling, right? And I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came in fear and trembling, and my whole purpose was to bring you to the place where your faith is not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Isn't that right? But he talked about that fear and trembling. The woman, remember the woman when she was healed? The woman with the issue of blood? And Jesus turned around and he said, who touched me? The Bible says she was what? Trembling. 
Why was she trembling? Because of what was done in her body. What was done in her body was not something bad. It was the great goodness of God that was manifested in her. Amen? Let me show you a couple of scriptures, and, and you go chase this down. But Jeremiah chapter 33, just to, to capture this. Because you see, this trembling again is part of that awe. It's part of, wow, he is so awesome. Psalms 130 verse 4. If the Lord has counted up iniquities, who will stand? But there is forgiveness with God that he might be what? Feared. Amen? So Jeremiah 33 and verse 7. And I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return. And I will build them as at first. And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned, whereby they have transgressed against me. And it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all the nations of the earth, which shall hear all the good that I do unto them. And they shall fear, and they shall tremble. In other words, that they shall fear and they shall tremble for all the goodness and for all the prosperity that I procure unto it. In other words, when the nations see what God has done with them, he has forgiven their sins, he has blessed them, he has prospered them, they, they're going to watch and they're going to see the goodness of God in them and they're going to go like, wow, man, dear God is good. Look what he has done for them. Look what the Lord has done. Yeah. Are you with me? So, you, so, even in that, so even when it says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it says draw this life and power and what God has placed inside of you with this consciousness and this awareness that God is good. And they that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a good God and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That is the very essence of faith. So the drawing out of that very salvation, the drawing out of that life, that healing, that deliverance. You are not drawing out that healing with some fear that, Lord, the God is trying to teach you something from this sickness. No, you've got a revelation of the goodness of God. And so you're drawing it out with that awareness. Faith. Believes that he is and that he's a what? He's a rewarder. What does that mean? That God is good. Are you with me? So, I, I, so in other words, then there is a magnification of the goodness of God. How gracious he is. How merciful he is. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right, let's begin to look at, at a few biblical scriptural definitions. Amen? Is that all right? Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. <laughs> glory, glory, glory. All right, Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13. I like the word is. When God says is, is. <laughs> You, 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 I mean, you're getting something that is accurate here. You know, when, you, know you, you ask somebody what they think, man, you got to mix that with a, take it with a grain of salt. But when God says is, man, you, you got, you, you know, if men say the grace of the Lord is, you don't have to, you know, it's sufficient for thee. Then that's what grace is. It's sufficiency for thee. Amen? <laughs> All right. So Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13 says, the fear of the Lord is. Hate evil, pride, arrogance, the evil way, the forward mouth, do I hate. So it is, if I were to put this concisely, I would say the fear of the Lord is to hate what God hates. And the flip side of that is to love what God loves. Amen? Very simply. It is to hate what God hates. But it is so much to hate what God hates and there's an element of the fear of the Lord that gets lost, especially in the new covenant, which is a zeal for God, which is like an emotional, it's not just, oh, I hate what God hates, but you know the Bible speaks about hating with a perfect hatred. You ever heard that statement? Right? Where there is a zeal, where there is a, the Bible speaks about Jesus, how the zeal for the house of God consumed him. So there is a, you know, we speak, there is a phrase we use, how God dwells with him that are broken and of a contrite heart. That issue of a contrite heart is, it, it is, has to do, there's a passionate hatred for what God hates that is connected up to that word. So there is that passion that drives you, that moves you. 
Amen? That hunger, that thirst. But it is hating what God hates. Well, what does God hate? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19 says, These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devised wicked imaginations, feet that are swift and run into mischief, and a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among brethren. Now, he that sows discord among brethren, the very thing he's sowing might not be a lie, it might be the truth. But nevertheless, if it is, if it is purpose is to create division, that's not good. Are you with me? Right? It's, 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 so these six things that the Lord hate. Psalms 34. I'm reading from verse 10. It says, it says, um, Come you children, hearken unto me, verse 11. I will teach you to fear the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue. Say, keep your tongue. <laughs> keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking God. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. So there's a, there's a practical aspect to the fear of the Lord, which is watch your mouth. <laughs> can, we, can we put it that way? In, 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 um, Again, New Testament, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, verse be familiar with, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, all the while, the Spirit of God is at work within you, both to will and to do, God good pleasure. And then it says in verse 14, do all things without murmuring and without disputing. Murmuring is, 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 murmuring is conflict, murmuring is strife on the inside. Nobody hears it. <laughs> Amen. But don't forget the fear of the Lord affects your thoughts. Amen? The fear of the Lord is also a spiritual mindedness. The Bible says in, in Proverbs chapter 19 verse 23 that the fear of the Lord tended to life. The life of God. But then it also says in Romans 8 and verse 6 that, they, that um, to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So spiritually minded is life and wholeness and reconciliation. And then here, Proverbs 19.23 says, the fear of the Lord is life. So there's a connection. In other words, then, the fear of the Lord is also a way of thinking. It's a spiritual mindedness. So murmuring, the problem with murmuring, is on the inside. Disputing, that's on the outside. And that you may have took... So don't, don't operate, and this was still talking about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? That you might be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom also you shine as lights in the world. Amen? So the fear of the Lord, what does it do? It affects your thinking, it affects your speaking, it affects your attitude. Psalms 19 verse 14 says, um, 19 verse 14 says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. James 3 verse 2 says that if a man can, if a man can uh, offend not with his mouth, in order that he would control his mouth, control his words, he's a perfect man able to brighten his whole, whole body. What does that mean? In other words then, when a man uses his mouth correctly, then he doesn't give room for the devil. Because the devil likes to take our words, amen, and use them. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now you see, even the issue of, of, of your thinking, the fear of the Lord and the way it affects your thinking. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your thinking is hooked up to your speaking. Jesus said, Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 18, 21, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Therefore, that being the case, Psalms 141, verse 3, prayerfully says, Lord, set a watch over my mouth and keep the door of my lips. Psalm 39, verse 1, I'm going to keep my mouth with a bridle. So the fear of the Lord is connected up with your mouth. It's connected up with your thinking. Amen? Now, I'm pondering. Let's just go here and um, turn me to 2 Chronicles chapter 19. 2 Chronicles chapter 19. 
Okay. Second Chronicles chapter 19. I had a personal experience with this verse many years ago when I was in a situation and I needed to make a decision and, and, um, and, and there was pressure coming from some outside sources for me, for me to make a decision that was favorable to the, for the person that was pressuring me to make it. And, um, and the Lord gave me, and I'm on, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord gave me this scripture. And this is what it says, verse 6. Okay, well, verse 6. Speaking to the judges, the ones that got to make a decision, take heed what you do, because you're not judging for man, but you're judging for the Lord. And the Lord is with you in judgment. Whatever you do, he's going to back you up. All right? That's a good thing. All right? Which means, um, if you're representing him, you could do wrong or something, and he still back you up. He might talk to you in the back room, though. <laughs> All right? But given that you're, you're, you're representing him, you don't want to miss it. She said, wherefore then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed and do it. Don't just take it for granted. And make sure you prayerfully get yourself into that place where the fear of the Lord is ruling. Where it's ruling your mind. Where it's ruling your thinking. Because you see, there is no iniquity with the Lord. There is no bend. There is no prejudice. There is no bias. There is no respect of persons. There is no taking of gifts. There is no receiving of a bribe. There is no, what is in it for me? In other words then, what is that verse saying? It says then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. And it is basically when it's talking about not taking bribes, no iniquity, etc., etc. It is saying, let the fear of the Lord be, in, be upon you. Align yourself with God. It's talking about alignment. Say alignment. All right. Now, because we are out of time, <laughs> I, I'm going to stop in the middle of, of where I was. I'm going to stop right here. It is aligning yourself with God. And if you're going to align yourself with God, Psalms 128 verse 1 says, Blessed is the man that fear the Lord and walks in his way. Which means you're going to have to operate in his way. Now let me ask you something. Does love align itself with God? Is walking in love aligning itself with God? Is righteousness in alignment with God? Is faith in alignment with God? Is holiness in alignment with God? Is your right thinking in alignment with God? How should you worship God? Shouldn't you worship God from a place where of honoring Him and the fear of the Lord? So what I'm saying is now, when we go further, which we're not going to go today, then what we will see as we see the fear of the Lord is this alignment with God, then we will see the fear of the Lord in love. We will see the fear of the Lord as we walk in righteousness. You will see the fear of the Lord as it connects up to holiness. You will see the fear of the Lord as it connects up to, to, to spiritual mindedness. You will see the fear of the Lord and how it hooks up with worship and, 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 and sanctifying the Lord and, and, and the presence of God and, and, and so on and so forth. Amen? And so forth. <laughs> Amen? Praise the Lord. Now, not only that, not only will you see what the fear of the Lord is in many of those new covenant perspectives, but you will also see what the fear, that the fear of the Lord in and of itself teaches. Can you imagine that? Just because it says the grace of God teaches us, etc., 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 in Titus 2, verse 12, the fear of the Lord teaches, the fear of the Lord corrects, the fear of the Lord instructs, the fear of the Lord is like looking in a mirror. Now, correction is not always joy, joyful, is it? Right? Hebrews chapter 12 says that around 6, verse 7 in that area. Right, between 6 and 12. The fear of the Lord is not all, the correction is not always joyful. However, when correction, but when correction produces its result, what happens? You become a partaker of holiness. The fruit of the, of the right instructions of the fear of the Lord, the fruit of righteousness is holiness, which is a oneness with God. The fruit of that correction and that purification that can come through the fear of the Lord it will cause will cause you to be able to be so aligned that even what you offer unto God will be on a higher level of righteousness. So what do you what do you what do you cry out? What do you pray? The book, Psalms 86 and verse 11 says, "Teach me, O Lord." In fact, let's turn there, and we're going to close right there. Psalms 86 and verse 11. We're going to close here. 
Hallelujah. So Psalms 86 and verse 11, given that we have chosen the fear of the Lord, Psalms 86 and verse 11 says, Teach me thy way. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite that soul chamber of my heart that is not renewed to line up with that spirit chamber of my heart that delights in the law of God after the inner man. Unite my heart so that I be not double-minded. Amen? But I be single-minded. That I have a single eye. Teach me the fear of the Lord that I might walk in your ways. Unite my heart to fear your name. That I might sanctify you in my heart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. And as it says in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13 and 14, that when you walk in the fear of the Lord, and when you make the Lord your fear, God says, and when you sanctify him in your heart, and when you set him apart as holy, reverence him and, and honor him for who he is, he says he will become your sanctuary. He will become your refuge. He will become your hiding place. He will become your your asylum. He will become your, your, your rock. And you will be hidden in him. From the strife of towns. From the arrows of the enemy. He will hide you in the secret place of his tabernacle. Under his shadow of his wings. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Say, I choose the fear of the Lord. I choose the fear of the Lord. I choose the fear of the Lord. Amen? Amen. You receive this? You receive this? Amen. Glory to God. All right. All right. 